for me, the best podcast is the one that doesn't sound like a podcast. The best interview is the one that doesn't feel like an interview. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the Strive Stronger podcast. Today, I'm interviewing two of Australia's legends in the podcasting field, Craig Harper, Melissa Cameron. They come from the You Project. In fact, I'm going to redo the intro. It's you, it's me, it's Harp, it's Mel. How are you, gang? <laughs> you. You need to do better. You need to be a little bit more organic. No, mate, I'm great. Thank you so much for having us. Um, we, uh, Melissa, you've just been called one of Australia's best podcasters. I'm going to get you a little hat that says that. Well That's done. hilarious. Thanks. Well, I'm definitely not, but cheers. But, mate, thanks. We love to have a chat and uh, we appreciate being on the show. Well, you do have a chat. You chat once a day and I've got loads of questions around how the heck do you come up with that content? But before, I'll just go through the, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast. There's three. Uh, I recently saw that you're up to episode 844 at time of recording. You're doing one a day. I know in Nova, you're the top three in all categories. Phenomenal results, 20,000 downloads a day, half a million a month. So I, I felt like there were some real learnings around this. Number two, I've just launched a podcast at Total Transparency, Harps and Mel. I want to replicate a little bit of your success, like, you know, just a micro bit of that success. So I really want to learn what you've done. And also I listened to a podcast cast a guy named Chris Hutchins who did this on Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, I think in our harp, he's got about 1 billion downloads, but at the time of recording late last year, he had 700 million. And Chris Hutchins interviewed him and asked a lot of the questions that he wanted to know, and I'm assuming a lot of questions that your listeners would like to know as well. I get asked regularly, as I'm sure you two do, how do you do a podcast? Why should you do a podcast? Do you make money out of a podcast? Do you meet mm. cool people? How much mm. time does it take? Insert, insert, insert. In a rough format today, the why, the who, the how, the when, and the wonga, a good British slang for yeah. money. I was trying to get as many W's in as I could, Mel. Perfect. <laughs> good work. So let's uh, follow a rough format because I, I hear how you guys go. Um, and I don't want it to be too orchestrated. I even said at the start of this, Harps, you want me to send through the running notes? You went, nah, mate. Like, no, don't do that. Just have a chat. So <laughs> <laughs> we're really seeing how it works at TYP, which is awesome. So I've got two parts on the why. First is about you as a, as a group. Why did you start the You Project? Um. So I have a bit of a background in telly. I worked bits and pieces in telly for a while and I worked in radio for a long time. And um, as you know, the stuff that I do, I come from a fitness industry background and I do corporate speaking and we run conferences and do a whole bunch of things. And I, I, um, I've been listening to podcasts for pretty much as long as they've been out. I just wanted to do one because I think it's a really great way if you do it well, if you do it right, if there's a niche, if you hit, if you create something that's not, you know, replication or replica number 9042 of something else, if you can create something that's a little bit unique, then you're going to have an audience. And for me, who's a teacher and a coach and, uh, you know, an author and all of that, being able to connect with other people is great. And the barriers to entry, quite frankly, to podcasting are very, very minimal which means anyone pretty much can set up their own podcast within a short amount of time. Um, yeah, so that that was a catalyst, mate. And it's, you know, it's kind of just, it's a nice, nice platform. It's like a talk, a talking version of social media or, I don't know, Facebook or Insta where I can just, and also if I'm going to be honest about my selfishness, 
I get to meet awesome people that I wouldn't otherwise meet. I met some of the smartest people in the world in the last four years, and um, it, I would not even get in their office. I wouldn't be able to get an hour or 10 minutes of their time. And because we have this resource, which is getting, fortunately, a few bums on seats now, as we say, you know, that's opened some doors, which is nice. How, how do you feel with those results, that data? 20,000 downloads a day, mm. half a million a month, and you're number mm. three, number three across the Nova platform. So when you hear that, what do you think? What do you feel? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't, even when I do really great at some things, like I'm very, I'm very uh, grateful. I, but if I've got 10 listeners or 20,000, I'm grateful. Uh, so it's really just a byproduct of trying stuff. And lots, most things that I've done, if I, for every 10 things I've done, eight or nine didn't work. So there's a lot of trial and error. Um, I've learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. I've learned about everything from which microphones to use to what environment to, Hey, Craig, don't get five guests five days in a row who are kind of similar. It sounds crap to shut up and listen more because I'm a chatty Cathy to, you know, self-regulate in the middle of everything, how to be fully present. Yesterday I did four podcasts and some other stuff. And so to be fully present with somebody for one hour, not thinking about anything else, not distracted, not checking your phone, not looking around. You know, these are skills to be developed. So, it, like, there are a lot of variables that go into you know, a, a good experience for the listener. Was that hard to learn? Because your background, you and I are like long lost soul brothers. We've mm. both worked in sport. We've both mm. studied exercise physiology. We've both got into psychology, studied psych. You're doing your PhD as well. You're probably inspiring me. I'm around 10 years lag time behind you, Harp. So, I'll, I'll, I'll go there one day as well. We've, you know, we've done multiple businesses. But we both really started in the corporate world on stage, talking to people. Mm. Did you yeah. find that transition talking to, to asking questions and listening, was it difficult or was it natural? Oh, that's a great question. I've never been asked that question. Well done, you. Um, yeah, it was definitely um, something I needed. You know, my PhD is on self-awareness and I've had to become self-aware about a lot of things about me that weren't positive attributes, skills, or qualities. So things that I needed to work on, acknowledge, understand about myself and change. And so I wasn't always a great listener. So I really needed to work on that. So what was that? I wasn't always a great listener. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, idiot. Um, I was just in the moment thinking. Um, but also you think about your background and my background. So I started working in gyms when I was 18 and writing programs and doing assessments and all the fundamental stuff and that stuff and that graduated to managing gyms by the time I was 21. So I was leading teams and managing egos, attitudes, personalities by the time I was three years out of school and then, you know, dealing with like everyone who walks through the door of a gym and signs up and then you write a program for or take them through or teach or coach them on some in some capacity. They all have one thing in common and that is that they want to change. And that's a multi-layered, that's a psychological, emotional, practical, you know, physiological process. And so, you know, you and I, before we even realised what we were doing, we were helping people change and think differently and build new operating systems. And then it's just transferring that into a, a different realm, I think. Yeah. Well, two things I do want to pick up today. One is you've always been generous. I don't know if you remember the first time we met. I was... the 
pregnant pause and you're staring at the screen. So obviously it was a lot more memorable for me than it was for you, Harms. It was, it was at Filex. Oh, yeah. I would have been 25, 26, so I'm now late 40s. So God, maybe mm. going 24, 25 years ago. And it was in the big shed in Melbourne, Jeff's mm. big shed. And no, sorry, it was in Sydney. It was even before that. And you'd just done a, a, a standing ovation performance. And I was a little battler, personal trainer from Hobart, taking old ladies for walks and, you know, working with a couple of abalone farmers, trying to get it together. And I, and I said, thank you for that. I really enjoyed that presentation. And you said, oh, thanks, son. What's your name? I said, oh, sounds like my dad. Uh, name's Andrew, or call me Maisie. I'm from Hobart. And you were going to get a coffee. And you said, come for a walk with me while I get a coffee. So we had an unofficial coffee. Yeah. And that moment you gave me was just a window into, basically you said, uh, I am just an ex-fat kid from Maui, and I'm going to pick up. That's number two. You, you even showed that self-deprecation then, or you, you were defecating all over yourself back then, Harps. And you just gave me a couple of tips and said, mate, just keep doing good sessions. And that's opened yes. up for me, the people I train, then book me for events. And those events have led to some big corporate programs. So you've always had this generosity about you. So I wanted to thank you because that as a 25 year old was very influential back then those words. And I can remember going back to Hobart and going, yeah, I've, I've got the foundation here to build something big because Harp said. Yeah. Well, mate, you're welcome. And thank you. I, I I mean, I think a lot of people say things on podcasts and in public where it kind of sounds good. And, but I genuinely, most people that I meet truly, not necessarily in the same place or way, but have as much potential or more than me. And that's not me being self-deprecating. Everyone goes, oh, you put yourself down, you're this, you're that. Well, I was a morbidly obese kid and I did fucking grow up in Maui, right? So this is not a story. This is reality. Like I did struggle through school. I wasn't a genius. I wasn't a good athlete. I don't have good genetics. I, I didn't go to university till I was 36 for the first time. I, there are so many, and I don't say that to throw myself under the bus. I say that so that people go, oh, I don't need to be spectacular to do spectacular things. You know, I, when I grew up, I had very few people encouraging me. I didn't have a hard childhood, but the kind of stuff that you just spoke of, I love doing that with people because when I have a purpose bigger than me, I'm a good human. And when I'm just all about me, which is very easy because I've got an ego and I'm insecure and I want people to like me and I can be too self-focused and all of those things. But when, when I have that awareness that I'll look at what I'm doing and I get out of that and I go, let me just focus on this person. And by the way, you know, I can learn from you, you can learn from me. But I think there's that sweet spot where you can build a great career, make some dough, connect with other awesome humans help yourself and also help others. And so for me, that's kind of the formula. I knew there was more to it than that's the flipping I'm the ex-fat kid from Maui. So thank you. Now, Mel, I've got two questions for you. Why do you think you are so successful as a team? And you are a team because it's you know, it's me, it's you, it's Tiff, it's Mel. <laughs> so I had to do that again. It's just, it, it's, it's TYP, you've made it part of your brand. So Mel, first question, why do you think you are successful as a team? Second question, what do you think he does? to draw in the Ooh. listeners? Good, good questions. Wow. Um, and I'm out of here. Firstly, I, had, I had a goal. I said to Wizard, <laughs> if they say once, talking to the gurus on the Nova platform, if they say that's a good question, man, I'm out of here. Tap out. Catch you later. All right, Wiz, let's go get some lunch. Um, oh, firstly, I would, I'd probably say just in terms of persistence, like uh, 
there, uh, Craig hasn't explained yet, but I'm sure that he will at some point, uh, that there were several failed attempts prior to this podcast. And I, I just think, and it's been it's been driven by Craig the whole the whole time in terms of just keep going, just keep producing. We're not giving up because nobody's listening. Because uh, had we done that, there would be no podcast. So I think even the fact when we changed from three to four days a week to seven days a week, and I think both Tiff and I are a little apprehensive going. Is that physically going to be possible? Like, can we maintain that? Is it going to work with listeners? And I just think it was um, Craig's understanding and belief in the market and and what we were able to deliver and, and just basically um, persistence uh, that has kind of led to, to where it is right now. And the when, I feel like that passenger and there's something about Mary, it's not six minute abs, it's seven minute abs. <laughs> Mel, that was point four. Champ, we're only at point number one, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> seven little monkeys sitting on a tree, not Snow White and the six dwarves. <laughs> Anyone who knows that scene will laugh. Everyone else just thinks I'm an absolute loser. Uh, but about Harps, on the, the failed attempts, this is your third or fourth platform, is it right? The U yeah, project? this is number four. And you just, you know, you learn by, and none of them were bad. They're all okay. You know, it's like if I was giving advice to you or anyone now who wants to have a podcast that, um, like most people, if you say, do you want a big audience or a small audience, everyone's going to go as big as possible. Cool. So you need to figure out why that would happen. Um, and so, for example, I started a podcast called the Australian Fitness Podcast. Good podcast, interviewed fitness people. I'm a fitness person of sorts, blah, blah, blah. The problem with that is, when people are scrolling through podcasts, probably 19 out of 20 Aussies will scroll past that because they go, I don't want to listen to a fit. I'm not a fitness person or I'm not a fitness industry person or whatever. Um, and so good show, good interviews, good content, but not broad appeal. So for me, having a show called The You Project, where it's literally about whoever you are, this is about you. And when people go, "What? what is the show about? I go, well, it's really about how do I get the most out of me? How do I manage me, my mind, my body, my emotions, my relationships, my energy, my resources, my knowledge, my skills? How do I manage me in the middle of all of the unmanageableness that is around me? So I can't control the weather or the government or business or industry, or but I can control me in the middle. And it's really about, you know, self-management, self-optimization, silly stories, great great people. Like I want people to learn and laugh. I want people to come on, have a good experience, build a relationship with us, hopefully like us. If they do stick around, if not, there's millions more great podcasts. Thanks for dropping by anyway. Um, and it, it's got to be, I, I feel like I'm too lazy to overproduce, right? Melissa is very type A perfect, perfectionistic, um, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's. I'm the stumble into the studio with 30 seconds to go with a cup of tea and my thongs on and are we ready? And that's why I don't like planning much because I'm just having, like if you and I were hanging out now, mate, for a coffee, you're not going to go, Craig, I'm going to send you the questions. We're just going to meet and have a coffee. Mm. We're just going to talk. Which I so did at the me, start of this. I said, do you want me to send the question? <laughs> no, yeah. mate, don't, don't send it through. Just, just run so it. So for me, the best podcast is the one that doesn't sound like a podcast. The best interview is the one that doesn't feel like an interview. The best, the best listener experience for me is two guys or two girls or whoever it is, guy, girl, um, hanging out, talking, chatting, going deep, laughing, 
fucking a few things up, getting a few things right, being real, being raw, being vulnerable, encouraging people and going, mate, that was fun. Thanks. Let's do it again. See ya. You know, if you look at the biggest podcast in the world, which is Joe Rogan, who has 12 million listens, give or take an episode. I mean, I listened to one this morning and literally I started listening. It was him and uh, three other guys that he does it. Uh, regularly with and that just about 20 seconds in it's rolling and he goes oh, i really should have had a shit before we started <laughs> that's what he says on the podcast right and then he goes um are we rolling to jamie the producer and he goes yeah and he goes oh well it doesn't matter hey everyone if i take off halfway through i've got to have a shit sorry about that and then they just keep talking like there's nothing refined or polished nothing is planned other than getting these people in a room and, and you go, well, and not that everyone needs to follow that model, but what it does tell me is that there is no set way to produce something that's good that people want to listen to. You know, there's going to be hundreds of, of copycats who listen to TYP all the time in their first podcast in the first minute. Oh, excuse me, ladies and gents, I've just got to go take a dump. I'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> work for Rogan, work for Harp's going to work for me. <laughs> uh, I, it's interesting hearing you say that because i have been interviewed by you a few times and it's exactly how it is mm. uh, you know you do turn up you do have a chat it's like a conversation just over a coffee with a couple of, of buddies but you're missing one thing what's that I'm ready. and it would be flippant of me to go to the next question you've done thousands of hours of reps and sets you've done thousands of personal training sessions you've done mm. thousands you would have done a couple of thousand presentations mm. you've done thousands of executive coaching sessions, mm. and now you've done hundreds of pod, well, you know, over a thousand podcast interviews. So I reckon you can rock up and do that because you've done the work. Mm. I, I question whether a 25 or a 30 year old harps could have done that and mm. had the same depth and connection and emotional response and physical response and taking us on a journey. Cause I, I listen to your podcast. I do some of them. I go, Oh shit, that was good. How'd you come up with that? Mm. You've come up with that because of decades in the trenches. Yeah. Great point. hundred percent. Right. Um, you can't get good at what you don't do. You can't perfect the thing that you avoid, etc. all that stuff. And it's reps, it's miles on the track. It's fill in the blank. It's all that. And yeah, you're exactly right. And if people say to me, oh, I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm going to listen to your show, where should I start? I say not in the first 200, I'm shit, you know, and I'm not shit, but it's not, I don't love it. And and like, this is another great thing is that I'm 58, you're in your late 40s, Melissa's way too young, my shoes are older than her. But the the beauty of all of this is that I'm still getting better and I'm still learning and I'm still a work in progress and I'm still unlearning. And I'm still recognizing stuff that I need to do better and change, but there's no self-loathing in the middle of it. There used to be a lot of self-loathing. Now there's just self-awareness. And I think the beauty of it is, you know, so I can at 58 be in the third year of my PhD and stumbling like a piss bloke towards the finish line and, and doing speaking gigs and writing books and doing shows like this and hanging out with people like you and, you know, that metacognitive process of overthinking everything and, and letting our mind get in the way of, oh, well, shit, uh, is 58 the right age to, or is 47 or is uh, 33 in Melissa's case, is, that, is this age appropriate? Should I do this? Should I do, you know, it's just get, get all that crap out of the way and just explore your passion and your purpose. And, you know, I think things just like I work a lot, but I don't have the experience of working because hmm. I just do stuff that resonates with me. 
be a good idea for a PhD, that metacognition. We'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> really good I think idea. it's been done a few times. <laughs> <laughs> What's one of the biggest things you've had to unlearn in the last, give me a time frame, last 18 months to two years? And then Mel, I'm going to ask you what he's unlearned. It'd be very interesting to hear your response. Well, I had a lot of thinking and attitudes about, let's say, if we could maybe stretch it to two and a bit years. So Melissa, because she's younger, smarter, and more technically uh, adept, I mean, my everyone is than me, but she's been saying to me for probably five years pre-COVID, we should start doing more online stuff because you could literally do gigs around the world. I'm like, no, Melissa, I need rooms. I need people. I need sweat. I need bodies. I need physical space and three dimension and bums and legs and chairs and hugs. Go get granddad's pipe and slippers yeah, as well. Right. A couple and of by bottles. the way, where are my fucking slippers? You know, there's all that, right? So, and of course, so we had a little space up the road from my house, which was like a, I stopped doing one-on-one coaching a while ago, or I do very little of it. And so I started to do small groups. And then I ended up doing mentoring and mentoring in groups, right? Which would be 30 or 40 people at a time. It's kind of like an AA meeting, uh, I imagine. And so when COVID came, we had to stop that, of course. And we needed, we basically had to walk away from the facility that that I had. And Melissa said, why don't we run a a mentoring group online and I, I don't know who's gonna uh, anyway first one with minimal promotion um zero spend here we go talking about dollars and business zero spend we had 330 people was it 330 or 50 melissa i think it was 350 350 people in a eight week uh 12 we started with 12 weeks yeah okay 12 weeks yeah good i am with numbers 350 people 12 week <laughs> program And I don't ever talk about money much, but I'll just say this once to give people an idea, right? So we had that and people paying 300 bucks. So we generated 100 grand in two hours a week for 12 weeks. And you go, oh, and me, the dude who's owned businesses forever and had staff and had multiple gyms and a few other businesses, and you go, oh, okay, I'm a dickhead. There's big potential here. So for me, I had to unlearn that thinking and that, kind of archaic operating system that I can only do things with people in rooms in front of me. Yeah, and so good on you for having young kids, trendy kids around you like Mel and Tiff. And I've got the wizard. Wizard's got a lot more hair than me. Um, come say hi, Wiz. And uh, also having, you know, people of the younger generation. I feel like my dad when I say that. Hello, wizard. Hello, hi. wizard. <laughs> so you look, at, look at the hair, the wizard. Are you uh, sure that's not Dumbledore? He does look like Dumbledore as well. Yeah, he's so, years, maybe. yeah so uh, we'll put a, a bit of a video highlights on this so people can see the wizard as well. But having people around you who think differently, because Harps, the model that you and I grew up, uh, for me, it was 40 or 50 live events a year, keynotes, at, you know, mm. mainly around Australia, a bit of New Zealand, one or two in Europe a year. And then you do two or three big corporate programs and then some coaching. COVID mm. totally killed it. Mm. So yeah, good on you, Mel, for getting that different view and, and pushing people forward. And I think then once you start doing stuff like that, you go, how on earth did we not do that? Mm. Well, yeah. And that's that, you know, the thing is you think about the way that we all think everyone, you know, who, who knows how many people listen to this show, but let's just go. It's a few thousand or 10,000, whatever it is, or a hundred, doesn't matter. But nobody listening to this show is having the exact same experience and and the thing is that we think the way that we think and we, we, we tend to live in an echo chamber of, you know, people who agree with us or think alike or, or endorse what we think or, you know, but one of the good things for me, having someone who's 25 years younger work with me 
is that she doesn't think like me. The way she sees the world is based on someone who grew up in the 90s, not someone who grew up in the 60s. And so when I think X and Melissa thinks Y, I go, how come? And I often have to, and I do, I often have to change what I think because if I can get out of my own way and recognize my bias, then I go, that actually makes much more sense than what I think. And that, that's that, again, that's part of that self-awareness. You know, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. But being able to recognize the space between you and your programming, you and your hardwired beliefs, you and your thinking, um, sometimes it serves us, sometimes it sabotages us. Mm. So, Mel, what, what have you seen, Craig, unlearn or what do you think you may have unlearned as a business? I'll give you an off-ramp if you don't want to talk about sure. the Le Grand Fromage. Yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd say quite similar to what Craig was talking about. Like I feel like if COVID hadn't happened, we may not have taken that step. So in some ways, um, COVID, there was a little bit of a silver lining for us. Um, it meant that we could uh, do daily podcasts. It meant that we could, you know, build that skill and that ability. And it's funny because I was only saying to Craig yesterday, I watched him in do a gig and I'm like, he's, you can see how more confident and just at ease he is nowadays doing online gigs. But when you think to a year or two ago uh, that it wasn't even something that we were we were doing like it was it was on the the whiteboard as an idea of something that might happen within the next five years but uh it wasn't something we were doing i think that's that's definitely just all the thinking around what is possible and how are we delivering things and how could we do it better and um yeah basically just just reassessing reevaluating and working out what works and and what could we do better um has probably been a real focus in the last couple of years you we're know, another about- thing, if I can just interrupt on top of that is- Mate, it's your interview. You, well, <laughs> you interrupt whenever you want. What if but- I go, no, no, Craig. No, mate, stick to the fucking plan, buddy. All right, I'll, I'll kick you out of here. <laughs> well, I was very, I mean, I, I've got like right now, I'm in my house, everyone. I built a studio, which is uh, a really nice, almost like a commercial radio studio and complete with fancy, expensive mics and desk and buttons and shit everywhere and- And I used to think, oh, we've got to get all our guests in here. Mm. And I was very reluctant to interview because I thought the audio would be shit, the quality would be shit, there'd be no connection. And now seven out of seven of our podcasts, like we don't bring anyone in the studio anymore because we don't need to. How much easier is that from a time management point of view? God. Are you wearing pants? Stand up. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't. don't. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Bare feet, legs, that's all that's enough. You know my standard footwear is none. And But the thing is, and I said to you before we went live, I literally get to talk to people all the time that are brilliant, or maybe I said it when we were live, but I would say at least 40% of my uh, guests are not in Australia. Mm. I'm talking to people all the time who are in other countries. And even more to that, like last year I did a gig, I won't say who, Hewlett Packard, um, but I did a gig with them for a year where I did repeated gigs, 38 countries, uh, talking to a couple of thousand people at a time. I'm sitting in my little studio in Hampton in Victoria in bare feet with a black T-shirt on, 
Um, you know, I'm talking from two till three thirty. At five minutes to two, I'm in the kitchen getting a cup of tea. At two minutes past two, I'm talking to thousands of people all over the world for an hour and a half. I bang it out. We have fun. People type questions. I answer them. I go wherever I want. And then at three thirty-one, I'm having a wee from the cup of tea that I had. You know, and it's like it's just I'm like, oh my god, I'm an idiot. How long has this been going on? From the not in the. Just, just following the end of that story, having we got it from the cup Well, of tea. I mean, there are times when, you know, you can't leave the podcast studio, so you just make do. I mean, I'll, I'll leave it there. So, so Wizard and I had a live gig this morning at KPMG. We went in there, set up at Barangaroon. That's yeah, my old place. I worked there for three years. I sold them the previous business. So it was great seeing a few old buddies meeting new people. We had 200 people in order in there. Awesome. And then we finished and packed up. And then from the time we left here to when we got back, it was three hours. And Wizard said to me, how good's online stuff? <laughs> you come online, hey, we're here. Now, and on, on that open loop, Mel, I think what you've done as a team, which I really look at and admire, is diversity. And, and, and people muck up the definition of diversity. We think it's diversity as far as male, female, sexual preference, but you've got diversity in thinking in your team. And that comes through in your interviews. So is this something that you openly talk about? Oh, another good question. Not necessarily. I think it's something that, that just kind of happened. Do you mean within the team or within guests? Because, mm. um, yeah, within well, the both, team. Because I think diversity with guests would come from the diversity you have as a team. Sure, sure. So I think that's just kind of something that, that naturally happened. As Craig mentioned before, I'm I'm very type A. I, I like, um, and that's something that I've really needed to unlearn because I would love to have things perfectly edited and, you know, um, set out in advance and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, I think- You do have that. (laughs) What do you mean you would like to? That is an ever-present- Even more so. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. Let me tell you, mate, the next six weeks of podcasts are all planned every day, every person, half of them are recorded- I mean, you know. <laughs> let, let me jump on the on the pylon. I got a, an email from you, champ. I'm booked into your schedule and calendly, I think, in three weeks. So this was booked in. You're highly organised. Don't, <laughs> exactly. don't tell us you're not. I love a good spreadsheet. What can I say? <laughs> but, yeah, like, like I think it just seems to work really well because there is, you know, we do think differently and therefore have different perspectives. And, and as you um, were leading to before, that then helps, I guess, for us to, to get diverse guests because somebody that maybe I think might be great on the podcast, Craig may not have thought of and the, and the other way around. So um, I just think, yeah, having that diversity within uh, can only benefit. And also you don't know, you know, you think, oh, this person will be interesting. And sometimes let's yeah. be honest, everyone, <laughs> hey, everyone lean in a little, a little bit and don't tell anyone I said this, but sometimes people are duds, not duds of humans, but on a podcast, some people are, Sometimes I've asked a 30-second question and I'm talking about, ah, so it must have been, you know, you grew up here and this happened, that happened, your mum did it and dad's, oh, that must have been, that must have been tough. And they go, yes. Mm. You're like, all right. And then other times you get on people that sometimes Melissa or Tiff will get book someone in and I read their bio and I go, really? We we have a, what do we have? An astronomer, one of the world's best astronomers. And I'm I rang Tiff. It was Tiff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, was Tiff. Yeah, I rang Tiff. Tiff. I go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I go, you know what I know about astronomy? The moon and Jupiter. And then I'm out. What am I going to talk about for now? This lady was fascinating. Yeah. And it was awesome. 
but it wasn't awesome that it was about astronomy. It was awesome that she was an astronomer who's really interesting. That's answered one of my other questions. The difference between a household name, a famous person and someone you never heard of. And I've found that in the, you know, the fledgling start that we've had. And I'm loving it, going on a massive journey in podcasting. Some of the best ones we've done with it's not the rock star athlete, the CEO, the entrepreneur that's built the billion dollar company. It's someone you've never heard of and they have a fascinating take on life and a freaking awesome story. And you finish and just go, oh my God, that was phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I reckon the challenge for you and me as podcasters is to get past the persona and get to the person. And I say to people all the time, I'm not interested in the brand or the this or the that. <clears throat> I go, this is probably not like most podcasts you've been on. Um, and, you know, you've done, like we had an interview um, the other day with Axel Whitehead. Do you know who oh, yeah, he is? Yeah, I remember him. He was uh was he V or Channel V or yeah, something? He was, he's a big rock you know, star. So he's and- done telly over here, telly over there. and infamously, Went off the rails a bit, didn't he? Well, let's be honest, got his dick out at uh, the ARI Awards. I mean, yeah. got his got his knob out and went, and he's spoken about this. Uh, that probably wasn't his best career move. And in fact, so interesting is he that I had coffee with him this morning, right? We hung out and he goes, mate, can we catch up and talk about the mind? I go, I'd fucking love to, right? So- Did he keep it in Tiff- his- did he keep when, it in today? No, but yeah, look, I got mine out, but look, one at a time. Okay, we'll work on. No, both, uh, both. That was a stupid question. Carry on. Was, I'm just, I'm firing you up there. Yeah. That's all right. You sound like me now. Um, but my, my point is this it's really about the person and where they're at. And sometimes you, like when Tiff said to me, um, you know, or not, she said, I just had a look and I went, Axel Whitehead, Axel Whitehead, who's Axel? And I went, is that that guy? And then I I went, really? What, what am I? And I did not have high expectations, had a chat to him, really good dude. And he, mm. he talked, he goes, I was an idiot. I was had 500 beers. I was, you know, he didn't, he didn't rationalize it. He just explained what led to that. And yep, bad decision, dumb thing. We all get it. But, you know, that doesn't need to define a person. And we had a guy on... Mark Randolph, who, who created Netflix. I'm like, what? What'd you do? And I thought, oh, this guy will give us seven minutes and he'll be cliche and he'll be way too busy. To-. Well, he was the best guy ever. And he was so honest and raw and real. And I mean, the dude's worth like a billion dollars or something, not that that matters. But, um, and then he ended up asking me questions. And at the end, he's like, Craig, that was great. You're great at what you do. I'm like, you set up Netflix, shut up, you know, but just, so for me, it's really, it can be really hit and miss, but I'm going to say to you and would be podcasters before you get anyone on, if you can listen to them or watch them somewhere else. Cause if you can hear someone on someone else's show or see them doing a Ted talk or somewhere on YouTube doing something, um, it might tip you either way. And that's, and it's not being rude to anyone it's just that ultimately, so what I think about is not, do I like this person? Am I enjoying this? What I think about as a podcast host and someone who's trying to create something that's uh, successful on a range of levels, kind of there's one key question and that is, or two maybe, is this good to listen to? Do people want to keep listening? And sometimes you have brilliant people who are not brilliant to listen to. Mm, and that's I've had that. I've had some. reality. 
some big names and then you sort of finish and you go through post-production, you're looking for the best bits and there's some bits there, but if you go to 15 other interviews, they're the same. So mm. I love that. Get past the person and get into the personality. Yeah. No, yeah. get past the persona. Don't get past the persona. Like I'll give you an example, mate. This is like completely. So I have this lady who's followed me for a few years. Her name's Edith Martin, follows me on social media comes to my workshops, comes to my, um, we run a camp, a, like a two-day conference camp thing. She comes, she's in her 80s, she's gorgeous, right? I call her Arnie Edie. She used to follow me back in the days when I had a blog. And I got her on the podcast and we just talked for two fucking hours about her life and the trials and tribulations and it was one of the most popular shows and it wasn't smooth. It was a bit clunky. It wasn't it like there were lots of gaps and, and, but it didn't matter because she's brilliant and people loved her. Mm. Mm. You know? love some, it's authentic. You get, yeah. Sometimes you get someone who's a rock star metaphorically and you think well, this is going to crush and it just doesn't. Press play, press play, press play. So, Mel, let's shake it up. I'm going to bring it forward because you've been waiting very patiently. You told me you're type A. <laughs> uh, so before we get into the how, pre-production, we're going to talk a little bit about recording, post-production. Harp says he doesn't do much, but I reckon there's more that goes on behind the scenes, how you distribute and how you amplify. The when, does my head in to think how on earth do you as a team come up with a podcast seven days a week all year? So can I just throw that to you? When did that idea evolve? Hey, let's take it from a few a week to what, three or four to then seven. And how on earth do you continue to find talent? Yeah, well, I think I think we started seven a week probably April last year. So um, around about then. And we were doing kind of four to five a week. And then Craig was like, let's go for seven. And I think Tip and I looked at one another and went, what is he thinking? Um, but I, it's just been a matter of, it's funny what you get used to because in the in the beginning, obviously that seemed like a lot, but now it's just the routine. It's it's what we do. And it's like, okay, well, who's up tomorrow? Or, you know, what what's happening next? So it's just been a matter of, I guess, trying to to play to our strengths as well. I mean, Craig's great at writing copy. And so that's what he, uh, obviously, aside from the interviews and the, the actual podcast itself, um, is comes up with a copy and a, and a great title. And then, um, yeah, Tip and I just, just try and make sure it's edited, but still, but only minimally edited because, um, as Craig said before, the, the whole point is basically to, to make it sound like you're sitting in a cafe and you're just hearing the conversation. So, it's not too polished or, or anything like that. But yeah, just, just trying to, I guess, keep things organized and, and know and scheduled as to what's going out when and who have we got coming up and are there some guests that are really similar? Do we need to split things up or or change things around and um, and go from there? But yeah, that that's basically what, what goes into the back end of things. But okay. also you didn't mention that you and Tiff probably send out 200 emails a week. Yeah. Like that's, that's okay. How. That's a little bit of detail that we may have right. over Mel. So, so yeah, uh, in, in double, double of, click on that for me. Of getting, of getting the talent yeah. because I, I guess that that's one thing is the more the people with more of a brand um, or maybe that are more well known, uh, the chances of hearing back from it from a lot of them. It's just you're just not going to hear. So that you've got to send out a lot of requests to get 
the guests. Um, the more obviously the, the following has developed, the easier it is to to get um, to get guests that want to come on the show. But yeah, it's just a matter of finding the balance between reaching out to enough potentially good quality guests um, that we think people will love to listen to and that will um, respond well to the show. And then, yeah, just just hoping that we we hear back. Was there a critical oh. mass? Because of the downloads you've got now, you're number three on the Nova app, I'm assuming people want to get on your show. So if they're now launching a book, a brand, wanting to get known, you go to Harps and the gang at TYP. When did you notice the change in that? Was it after a set number of episodes? Was it downloads or did it just sort of happen and then you can't really put your finger on it? Yeah, look, that's that's been going on for quite a while that that people tend to to email in wanting to be on the show, which, you know, is is lovely. It's fantastic, but it, it's a balance of trying to also maintain the quality of of what people like to listen to, and and making sure that we've got yeah the balance between the right guests. I'm not sure, Craig. Do you want to add something to that? You look like you're looking at me. He's about to jump this in. This is what Melissa's trying to say. We get lots of weirdos want to be on the show, <laughs> right? And we also get some beautiful, amazing people and some good people, but. We would probably get 50 emails a week from people who want to be on the show. And without being rude, a lot of those people really, what they want is an advertorial to 20,000 listeners. Like my job is not to give people a platform to sell their shit. I'm not interested in that. And if you listen to 100 episodes of mine, you will rarely, if ever, hear me on my own show promote anything. Well, when you do, my- you stuff it up. There was one, <laughs> you did the four-part series, which yeah. I loved, going into your life and yeah. your dad with a twin brother and just about your family moving. Another podcast for another day. I'd love to get into the schema and family of yeah. origin, but I'll take the psychologist hat off today. But listening to that made me understand you a lot more, really did. And then seeing the authenticity today and how you helped me as a 25-year-old, you know, no idea, no idea even where I was in Sydney. I get it now. I, I get to you from listening to that podcast, which mm. was really, really interesting. Um, but back to the point, you know, when you uh, are with people and you're talking to different people and you can get them to be authentic and not come on to try and sell something, absolutely, it's gold. But you're shit at selling. Your team has to tell you, no, it's on the 19th. No, it's on the 20th, Harps. Uh, is it online? <laughs> you, I am. You almost bumble your way through it. I am shit at it. And do you know what? And this is bad for business. I do not like it. You know, but ironically, look, I think about this a bit. So when I had Harper's, which at the time was the biggest personal training business and then facility, so my my gym on the highway in uh, Brighton here in Melbourne, was 10,000 square feet. That's a fucking huge PT centre, right? We didn't have members. We didn't have memberships. We didn't have contracts. We didn't have upfront anything. If people did one and then they wanted to go, that was fine. There was no arm twisting, no upselling, no, and I made my team do that. And I go, trust me, just be fucking awesome at what you do and we'll thrive. And that's what we did. You know, and, and so obviously we've got a, you know, we've got a conference coming up, which I now know is on July 31. Look at me doing an ad. You're welcome uh, in Melbourne. But I, I don't, I also appreciate that not everyone can do that. I also appreciate that not everyone has lots of disposable income, not that it's expensive, but I also, you know, like I'm much more comfortable telling people about the U Project Beanies because all the money goes to the Danny Frawley Foundation, which is for mental health in Melbourne. We make $0 per beanie. 
I'm comfortable doing that. I'm comfortable going, Andrew May's amazing, listen to his podcast, buy his books, book him for a gig. I'm comfortable doing that. I'm not comfortable doing it for myself for a range of reasons, but I'm okay with that, you know, and. Can I, can I just pause there? Yeah. Why? Why aren't um, you comfortable doing a that? A couple of things. I think I don't, probably because I still have crap self-esteem around that. That's probably less of it. More of it is also, I feel Australia is still very much a place where if you even look like you're self-promoting, people run the other way. And are you at you, risk though of downplaying that as you're no, getting all this success and make no, it sound I, flippant? I just kind of I'm agitating because I because I hear you say that. Yeah. And I know it's authentic, but then I sort of balance that with fuck mate, you're killing it in podcasting, yeah, but, you're killing in your business. Why do you still think like that? Well, I still get one or two people a day send me a message and go, You're a fuckwit, you're up yourself, you're arrogant, you're this, you're that. So they keep me grounded. And by the way, thanks, Brian. I keep getting them. You're welcome. Um, so I get a bit of that. I get people who love me. I get people. But who let's be think, honest. On the distribution curve, Brian's pretty well far yeah, out to the Bri right. Brian's, I mean, you've got twenty thousand or nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine others that like it. But see, rather than saying, "Listen to my show," I'm Ace, which obviously I wouldn't. You wouldn't. But you know, like yesterday, I did a gig for uh, a uh, council in WA. Clearly, I did it from Melbourne. And at the end, I say, you know, by the way, you can follow me here. You can listen to my show. It's free. There's eight hundred plus episodes. You know, take it for a spin. You might like it. You might not. You know, and um, like I, I will make people aware of things without trying to do any arm twisting. And I, I think that works better. And I say, listen to an episode and see whether it resonates. It might not. And th I would thanks say, for being open. Because I, I wanted to ask you that because I hear you say that, and it's authentic. Mm. And I, and I wanted to know, had you explored that? Had you had feedback on that? Had you, you know, yeah, been told I, that? Don't, don't, you know, we're in Australia, big or tall poppy syndrome. Don't tell everyone how good you yeah, are. Yeah, no, I, I just have, you know, like I had a few experiences when I was young and I had a few wins and I won't talk specifically just for the reasons I mentioned, but I did really well at some things. And let me tell you, you know, people, some people want you to succeed until you succeed, Andrew, and then you piss them off. And I could, I won't do it on here because it would throw a few people under the bus, but I could give you very specific examples of when I've done well and it really bothered some people. And the people that it bothered, it made me really sad because I thought they loved me and they cared about me and they wanted the best for me. And, um, and I understand it because I understand the human condition and, you know, I still care about those people. And I, I've, I mean, I, pretty much started personal training in Australia. You know, I had the first center, if not, I think it was the first center. I wrote the first or one of the first courses and all of this stuff. And it really bothered a lot of people that I did well. It bothered people that I started to make really good money. It bothered people that I set up a PT center, which apparently wasn't a thing and wouldn't work. And then it not only did it work, it went crazy. So I needed to open a second one no marketing, no branding, very few business skills. That really bothered people. And I used to, I go, I'm getting up at four o'clock working like a motherfucker. I put all my money into this, my heart and soul into this. I'm not a genius. I say I'm not a genius. I'm doing everything I can to succeed. And you're sitting over there on the couch just throwing stones. I, and I didn't get it. But, but I tell people now, and this might sound negative, I don't think. I think it's practical. If you have five or ten people in your life, probably five, 
that absolutely love you and want the best for you with zero agenda. They're just all team you. If you have five of those, you're doing great. Mm. If you have 10, it's a phenomenon. Do you speak any German? Uh, a tiny bit. I did go out with a German girl. There was stuff we can mention in a in a wide ranging podcast. Schadenfreude and Midfreude. Schadenfreude, we read about its pleasure through other people's demise. You know, the rock right. star athlete, male or female, fails at the Olympics, fails at the MCG in the big grand final, and it's mm. front, back page, centre page of every outlet, every news lead. And there's a little bit in most people, they go, oh, they failed. That makes me feel a little bit better about my life. But yeah. Mitfreud, which you you and your business, you and Mel, Tiff, the team, Mitfreud is pleasure in other people's success. Mm. That's what I love about what you bring. Mm. And whether you've used the term before or not, I can genuinely see that you like seeing other people achieve and you like helping other people to be better. You know, that, that you know what happened recently, Andrew, pursuant to this topic right now, so Sam Wood used to work with me. Sam, who was- 28 by Sam, just yeah. sold his business for millions, yeah. done awesome. So we met when I did a gig in Ballarat at Australian Catholic University in Ballarat. Sam was a student. He comes up to me after and goes, he was like, you know, 12 years old and six foot four and annoyingly good looking and still is. Shout out to Sammy. And um, he's like, oh, how can I come and work with you? And I went, we'll finish uni and then come down and let's chat. And then he- then he kind of contacted me that week and went, I'm relocating my study to Melbourne. I'm like, all right. Anyway, started working with me. And anyway, we, we worked together for a while and we ended up setting up a, a chain of kids' gyms called Gecko. Um, Was that which, you? Yeah, yeah. So I started that with him. I came up with the name, but he grew it and he ran it. I had very little to do with it, to be honest. But I was I was at ground zero with him. We started the first one. We were 50-50 partners and I just got to the point where I realised I'm not going to be in there doing much and he, and I said, mate, just buy me out. I'm good. And it was all good. It was very amicable. But what's funny lately is because Sam's business has been valued or sold or whatever it was at 70 million Australian or something ridiculous, a few people have gone to me, oh, what do you think of Sam? What, what about? I go, how fucking great is that? They're like, what? I go, they're like, really? I go, what what do you mean? I go, why on earth would I not think that that's fucking amazing? Like, I, I go, I don't understand your question. Like, why are you, like, why would I not be happy that someone that I care about is doing well? Mm. You know, and I'm like, and I, I do, I get it, I understand it, but it is still very much a, um, I, think it, I think it's shifting, but it can be a tall poppy culture, you know, and that, that same, that kind of, I remember when I was about 25 or six, I read a, an article with an Australian baseballer called Dave Nielsen, who was one of the first ever to play in the NLB Major League Baseball in the States. And he did an interview that I read and he basically said in the States when, this is his experience, in the States when I became successful, um, people were curious and people were encouraging and supportive and in Australia, when I came back, people were critical. And he said, I want to be where I'm celebrated, not tolerated. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I went, I've had a bit of that. And I was just starting to get a bit of that myself. And I went, I relate to that, you know. Mm. What's that, the American term, law of reciprocity? You do mm. good stuff, it comes back. Mm. The American business way is when you're a rock star, a CEO, a big athlete, you know, a 
a big podcaster like you and your team, everyone welcomes that. They acknowledge that. I think we're getting better in Australia. We can't just I go Americans are. are like that, Aussies are like this. But there definitely is more tall poppy syndrome here. And there's more tall poppy syndrome in the UK as well. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? It's like, I, I, you know, I think I like to think about that for myself because I feel not so much with that, but other things. It's like I was talking, I've, I have this probably overactive curiosity and self-awareness because of my PhD, but also for myself. And even, even now, right, and I've been exploring this shit for a long time, someone will be talking to me, often a dude, and he'll go, ah, oh, I did X, Y, Z, and I'll go, ah, oh, I did X, Y, Z times two. I, and I don't, it's not that overt, but I'll, 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 you know, like here's an example. So I've got some really nice motorbikes and I've also got this crappy little scooter that I ride around. And recently I was out the front of a cafe down the road. I was getting on my scooter and a guy comes up and talks to me and he's like, oh, I didn't know you rode a scooter. And everything in me wanted to tell him about my motorbikes, right? And I so had to bite my bottom lip because now he sees me as the dude who rides this 150cc piece of crap. <laughs> and I go, no, no, I've got something much bigger and more pattern. You know, like I, my ego so wanted to tell him. My Katana 1100cc is getting serviced at the moment at the, <laughs> at the boutique motorcycle. Wait, are you trapped in the 80s, dude? <laughs> <laughs> um, but exactly. I was just talking your language, Harps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, look at me. I'm 58. I still want to impress people. I'm still insecure. I'm still, you know, it's, but it's who we are and how we are. I don't think it ever fully goes away. But you're comfortable or you're more comfortable in it? Or maybe you're comfortable exploring it. Actually, I think that's where I land. Mm. You might yeah. not be comfortable, but you're comfortable to pull on the thread and explore. And then well, other people learn through that. And I also think that our awareness of our issues, our stuff, and again, not in a self-loathing way, self-awareness, but that that insecurity and self-doubt can also that emotional stuff of I'm not good enough, I'm shit, I'm whatever, that can coexist with the intellectual understanding that well you know like i i have this a bit where i'm about to go and do a big gig as a thousand people in a room or whatever and some person's interviewing me and i'm 30 seconds away from standing on stage i'm at the side i've got a lapel mic i'm about to walk up the stairs and i've done this a shitload of times i'm pretty good at it and i don't say that through ego i say that through experience and feedback and knowledge and runs on the board and I can know that I'm pretty good at this while feeling like this is going to be the day that I fuck it up and everyone will hate me. So those two realities can coexist in the one person at the same time. But I think that's what keeps you going because when you get up there and go, I've got this, I nailed it, I'm, I'm awesome, that's mm. when you walk in the tightrope and you're about to fall, right? Mm. I think having that little bit of fear. You know, the, um, when they talk about constructs, the broaden and build theory, it's not the, all you know, negative thoughts out, just positive thoughts. Mm. But I love that that framework that you can have predominantly positive thoughts, but they can coexist with a negative framework. So Barbara Fredrickson's work on that, I thought was a groundbreaker because it's not you know negative or positive. They can mm. both coexist. And mm. sometimes the negative, or at least the, the fear or the risk can keep you a bit alert. And so you wouldn't be still doing what you're doing if there wasn't some fear of stuffing up. You would have given up. So here's a question for you. What what number is this for you? 13, did you say? We did a podcast with NAB. We did 30 with NAB on NAB Business Fit. We've done mainly private podcasts. We did one with Westpac. 
We're doing another one with two companies. I won't mention it at the moment because we haven't started. So all up, Wiz, we would have done 100, 110 podcasts. Right. But what this – so right now – the, the podcast that we're doing is this part of your show though what's your oh, yeah this is uh, strive stronger yeah yeah Please. strive stronger 12 13 something like that right. so we've only just got crack in the last yeah. few so months. this is your kind of foray into the general public podcasting space correct so what what have you learned in this because it's i mean you've done lots of podcasting but this this concept is new for you what have you learned or what are you aware of now 12 or 13 episodes in that that you maybe didn't know or you didn't think about too much at episode one? The diversity in guests. Right. I thought it had to be all household names to start with. Yeah. Captains of business, people who've sold billion-dollar companies, Mm. musicians, athletes, because that'll get bums on seats. Mm. And seeing one from doing, two from feedback, and we're watching the numbers. Mm. But people that no one knows but they have an amazing story. Mm. often get a whole lot more than the person who's a household name mm. that does press play and has done the interview multiple times and they just rock up because you've known them, trained them, done something, and they're doing it as a favour. Mm. That's been my biggest one. I reckon also a piece of advice would be from me to you is have as much as possible have great titles and great copy because my experience and feedback from listeners is and probably it's different because we do so many shows, but they will read. Sometimes they won't even read the copy. They'll just read the title. By the, the copy, everyone, I mean the show overview, the synopsis, the notes. Um, and a lot of people, and, and it's hard because sometimes it's a brilliant episode, but it's hard to convey that in like 50 words, you know, um, and or at least so, for example, I just wrote some copy before we came on air. Melissa asked me to for tomorrow's show. So we have a guy on who's a geek and he reviews tech and he's funny and he's clever and we talk shit and it's it's half of talking about tech that with me is hilarious because I'm an idiot and the rest is just, um, you know, general chat. But it's I think it's a good listening experience. And we were talking about Patrick, our guy, went to a cafe where robots bring your food. So the show is called R2-D2 is Bringing My Sandwich, right? <laughs> Melissa, do you know who R2-D2 <laughs> yes, is? Yes, I do know who R2-D2 okay. D2 is. So, like, I'm always trying to, when I'm thinking about, like, like when I wrote, you know, I wrote a book a few years ago, you know, called Stop Fucking Around, right? Not a great book, but that, that was the first of the fuck books. It was in 2010. I proudly call myself a fuck book pioneer. And not really. And. But what was interesting about that was this book here, which I'm holding up that no one can see except Andrew, and this book, which was the subsequent book to that published by Penguin. So the second book or the follow-up book to that was Pull Your Finger Out, published by Penguin, terrible title. And because the title is shit, which it is, they chose it, not me, the, the first one, which is a smaller book and not as good a book, so 18,000 words versus eighty. The bigger book was outsold by the smaller book by five to one, mm. maybe six to one. And that was with Penguin backing me, um, uh, distribution, PR, magazines, radio, television, lots of stuff. I think we sold like 9,000 copies and the other one was over 50. And, and it's because, and even I sat in a meeting with Penguin and said, like they revealed it, they go, they pulled this thing off this 
like cover off a whiteboard and went, here it is. And I went, uh, looks awesome. Uh, I hate the name. And they're like, no, we've tested it. It's going to work. I go, it's not going to work. They're like, it's going to trust us. This is what we do. You're the author. We do all the selling. I'm like, yeah, okay. And it didn't sell. And so like I have even workshop titles, everything. I'm really careful about how do we create, how do we connect with people with these five words? And then how do we get them to read the next bit? Hmm. You know? Well, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Hmm. Clever uh, time. Manson. Yeah. Yeah. Sold millions of copies. 100%, 100%. And good dude and clever. And I haven't read it. I've read bits, but people tell me it's a pretty good book. But it probably, I'm, I'm sure it's a really good book, but it's sold. If that was called something else with the exact same content, it probably would have sold 10%. And that's no disrespect to him because it's mm. well, I bought a it really good book. And I bought it for the title and then I got into it and I thought, look, it's a it's a well-known concept. Get out of your own way yeah. and stop you know, giving a fuck. And then stuff starts to happen. You spend yeah. all your time and energy worrying about stuff that mm. usually isn't going to happen. Worry mm. about or focus on what can happen. So it's a very simple message. And I thought, wow, you know, sometimes you can spend years stewing on a book or an idea, but he got it out there, which was awesome. Mm. Yeah. Well, how, how long have, have we got? Uh, how long have you two got? Mate, I probably have to go. I've actually got a jam in about seven or eight minutes, probably 10 at the most. Okay. Um, so just a little bit of stuff on the how. Sure. Because we've, uh, we've done a lot. We've sort of woven in and around all this. Uh, Pre-production, we've answered, but a bit on equipment. So for someone who's starting harps, what would you recommend on equipment? I'm probably not the guru, but um, interestingly, I've got all these expensive road mics in here and stands worth, you know, probably $800 per stand and mic, and they're all bolted to the bench and it's all amazing. Yet I'm actually, What's and it's frozen. Has <laughs> it? Perfect timing. As you said that it froze, yeah. Can't, you oh, really? can't buy that. Yeah. Um, but I just have a USB mic that plugs straight into my computer. It still sits in a stand, as you can see, which costs like 160 bucks from JB Hi-Fi. And, I mean, you can hear it. It's like it's indistinguishable from a $600 mic. Hmm. And the beauty of that is, you know, if I go to Queensland and do some work and I've got to do a – uh, I've got to do a conference or whatever, and I've got to do a podcast while I'm there. I just take my literally my plug-in mic and take a stand, take my computer, and the only problem that you have is just that there might be a bit of uh, background noise. But you know, Mel, wearing the, the quality control hat, what what do you look at when you're doing this as a team to to get the best interview when you're actually yeah. press play? Yeah, look, um, as Craig was kind of leaning towards, we did spend time and money setting things up with the um, the mixer in the studio and everything like that. But it's it's more being, yeah, it comes down to also the guest having good audio uh, because, you know, it could be brilliant from our end or we could be doing as much as we can, but we just got to hope sometimes um, that we've at least, well, we, we make sure that we mention it to the guest when we're booking them in uh, that we can try and have the best quality audio, but also internet connections that can, can, can play havoc at times. So yeah, where possible, just trying to make sure it's great quality connection. But I think that's something that Craig has really emphasised along the way is, yes, we, we want it to sound good, but we'd prefer it to be like an eight, hour, eight out of 10 sound, but a 10 out of 10 quality of the guest. 
So uh, it really does come down to how good is that guest going to be and and how can, you know, Craig delve into things? Is there enough substance there? You know, how, how can it be a great quality conversation? And then, you know, obviously it helps to have good quality audio, but it doesn't have to be brilliant. We're better to, to have the great quality guests there. And, and rolling on top of that, Mel, post-production, how does that work? Do you, you have a team sit down, listen to it, edit? What's the quality control process? Oh, yeah. Tell them about the team, Melissa. <laughs> That's a, he loved, what about his questions? So gorgeous. I'd love that, Andrew. Um, but no. That yeah, is- tell them about your team of editing minions. <laughs> and for those people who are just listening to this, if you're not watching it on video, they both just cracked up and looked at each other on screen. It was beautiful. Yeah, I would love that, but no, we we definitely don't do that. We just basically, uh, yeah, do some some minor edits. Um, nothing, yeah, nothing too significant normally, unless there's been some um, internet glitches or things like that throughout. And yeah, just basically try and keep the, the conversation organic and um, and as natural and and that as we can. So but on a really practical level too, you sit there and you you take notes as we go. So normally, say yeah. you and I are chatting, mate and it freezes or it glitches. Melissa time codes everything. So she knows where all the little hiccups are going to be so she doesn't have to listen start to finish. Exactly. So she knows at 7.45 there's something at 10.12 at, you know, so by the end of the show she's got, you know, whatever, two or three or 12 little kind of notations of stuff that needs to be fixed. So then she doesn't have to painstakingly re-listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even things like trying to work out where where does a mid-roll marker go, like where is the ad break going to be? Because in our style of show, it's not like it's produced so that there's certain segments and then there's a natural progression into an ad break. It's we just need to try and find somewhere that it will kind of make sense. You're not in the middle of a sentence or something like that, that it would make sense to be able to place that mid-roll. So just things like that. That's yeah. true. And we have pre, mid-roll and post-roll. So start of the show, middle of the show and end of the show. Most shows we have ads these days. Yeah, I've, I've noticed you have some, which is good. I think when you listen to a show, if it's a short ad, you, you know, just probably listen to it subconsciously and then roll on. Listening to a lot of other podcasts as harps, it tends to be five different parts they talk about creating a podcast, the pre-production, the podcast recording, the post-production, the distribution, and then the advertising or the amplification. So if I can roll four and five into you, why did you go with Nova? We were with an organisation that we were on their platform and they weren't awesome. I won't say their name. I actually won't say their name. I didn't find them to be uh, super professional, super organised, super responsive, super anything, and that's okay. We moved on from them. And, in fact, Nova kind of sussed us out a little bit via TIFF. TIFF was exploring. TIFF has, who works for me, everyone, uh, or works for us, who's great. She also has her own. Uh, show which we'll give a plug called Roll with the Punches, and so she was talking to them about her show. And that, anyway, they kind of between them, Nova knew who we were, and they wanted to meet with me. So we met with them and sat down, and they they looked at our numbers and went, "Well, based on what you're doing now, this would give you this kind of money per month, give or take, and per year." And we're like, "Well, that's way better than what we're doing." And it just went from there, and. I mean, it's it's really like we had a meeting yesterday with uh, Melissa and I, and uh, we'll say Nathan and Kerry, who they are from Nova, who were great. And was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, and we just go. They tell us about their side. This is what's happening. This is what we're looking for sponsorship moving. You know, the next month, next two months, 
this is numbers, this is revenue, blah, blah, blah. And then I talk about what we're doing and what we're thinking about. I mean, really, like Nova Go, you guys are great at what we do, at, at what you do, and we just produce shows. Like, So we really have like absolutely zero input from them in terms of who I talk to, whether or not I say shit or fuck, or whether or not we talk about the meaning of life or whether or not there's a God or how to build a space shuttle or it, it's very like they leave it to us because what we were doing was already going okay. So it's just really creating a um, commercial relationship that is win-win. It's good for them. It's good for us. And, um, you know, it's really like on a fundamental level, the, the money comes down to how many people are listening to your show because then they can, you know, if, we, if we've got 10X while most shows have got 1X listeners, then they can sell us uh, for a lot more. And also the people who buy space on our show know that they're hitting a much bigger audience. And without getting into the minute details on the money and how much, but you get more downloads, that's how they equate the monetary exchange for that. So if your listenership goes up to 30,000 people a day, that goes up incrementally based yeah. on, on listens. Yeah, but, and there are a few other variables like who's who's run. Melissa, you do this bit. Go on. Sure. So, on. yeah, a few other variables depending on how uh, how long or far into the episode people have listened. So uh, because, as Craig mentioned before, there's a pre, a mid and a post roll ad. Uh, it's obviously based on the length of time spent listening uh, and what ads actually get distributed. But essentially uh, it should correlate that the, the higher numbers, like the more uh, people listen, the, the higher revenue should be yeah and, and, and also hubs. they approach us and go we've got a three-month campaign that we're pitching you for for the xyz organization and it's worth this many dollars and we go great please try and get it you know <laughs> for us also it's it's been a matter of finding brands that um we are happy to align with as well there's there's obviously certain industries that wouldn't really be appropriate fast food for example wouldn't be appropriate for our show and things like that so it's a matter of finding partnerships that that sit really well and and we feel comfortable with um mm. promoting whatever the product is a, a mate of mine runs an erectile dysfunction business so i'll put you in contact with him Harps. Wonderful. I would absolutely do that mate you'd feel free also <laughs> i did i've already done there's a company called manscaped I, that's, I, was, I, was, I was winding you up. I've heard that ad about, yeah. It's like, and I, I spent one episode talking about how fucking amazing my balls feel now that they've been manicured. And Wizard, um, Wizard's almost fallen off his chair. Look, I, I can I can openly say that Wizard has not nodded off at all in today's presentation. You've definitely yeah, kept well, him on the edge of his chair. But do you know, do you know what I find funny, right? It's I would. Who were we talking about the other day? We we're talking with someone the other day, and I, and it, oh, that's right. It was in the context. It was with Patrick. We were talking about sex dolls, sex robots, because we're talking about what's happening in tech. And this is like, uh, and if I'd used one, I would say, as you know, but I've never even seen one, let alone used one. But apparently, the tech. Smile if you have. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> he smiled. But, but, but like, I find it funny that with anything like taking a dump or masturbation or, you know, lots of things that really most people do uh, or have done or, you know, that everyone gets so clunky and so it's like, oh, you can't say you shaved your nuts. I'm like, sure can, just did. <laughs> like relax, everyone. Everyone's having a brain aneurysm over nothing. You know, it's like I, I did a, um, just quickly, I'll shut up then. I did a, uh, like a, Four-minute video a few years, Andrew, on how to have 
you know, for people who are constipated, like how to become a world champion poor. And it got over 30,000 views in a day because people like the every second person's constipated and people like, yeah, I'm in. How do I do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's all of a title. Hey, um, I, I know you downplayed and you rock up and you relaxed and chilled and all that stuff, but you have something that I've seen from day one, a constant improvement. You improve, you evolve, you talk about it, you learn, you grow. How have you done that on podcasting? Is there a formal mechanism? Do you have a mentor? Do you get someone to listen back or is it just organic? Um, it's organic, but also Melissa and Tiff and I talk about the shows and literally at the end of every show, <laughs> including this one, um, I will say to Melissa, what was that? And she knows she's got to give me a score out of 10. I'll have an idea in my head of how that went. And then we'll talk about why is it a seven? Why is it a five? Why is it a 10? What could we do better? Um, and, and I think that's, you know, for me, that idea of not perfection, but the idea of improvement and growth. So there's nothing about me, despite the fact that the show's doing pretty good, that feels like we've arrived. Nothing. Doesn't mean I'm unhappy or not uh, content. I, I'm really grateful. Um, but at the same time, I just think there's that. That's one of the things that's helped me do okay over the years because I never really go, da -da, I'm here, and then sit down. Well, I had one final question, but do you want to save some time? Do you want to do what you just said then live? So the final question I had was, what feedback, Mel, can you give me, Harps, can you give me in the future to improve as a podcaster? Oh, no, Not you're perfect, mate. What do you think, Melissa? Perfect? Perfect. I've Ten. changed nothing. No, so, so cancel that question. Do you want to do the review now? <laughs> Let's do it organic. Um, what would I do? So what do you give what, this? What, what, what see, would you give see, this? See, there's, there's an X factor too, right, because you're likable and you're humble and there's, there's something that you can't teach people. It's like you would know this. Like I had uh, 500 or so trainers work for me, and I'll, I'll answer your question, but – some of them were very qualified, you know, honours, masters, PhDs. Some of them were really academically brilliant and scientifically on the ball. And, and some of them were good, but there was probably a disproportionate number of Cert four trainers that were better than most of my <laughs> academic people. And it wasn't because they had more knowledge or it was because they were just fucking ace to be around, you know, and it's like, do people like, like, this is how fundamental I am. I go, do people like listening to me talk or hearing what I have to say? Well, the answer, of course, is some yes, some no. Um, but if I can't create an experience with my guests and with Melissa or Tiff, if I can't create a, a, a listening experience that people want to keep coming back for, I'm fucked. And I think you can do that. Um, well, I know you can do that. So you have, for me, you have, and this is like more broad than an assessment of today, but more broadly speaking for you, you have a nice kind of amalgamation of humility and awareness and um, knowledge and intellect where I think you can bring that all to play, you know, on, on any episode you do, you know, and it's that, it's knowing how to share ideas and, information and knowledge and even intellect and academic stuff in a way which doesn't land for Andrew, it lands for the audience because you're not talking to you. You're not trying to impress you. You're not trying to relate 
to yourself. You're trying to, how, I, I often think about how do I share this complicated construct in an uncomplicated way so almost everyone gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Mel, what, what would you give me? What feedback to improve? Similar to what Craig was, was good luck. Say, good luck. Good luck. No, Mary was, Poppins never criticizes anyone. No, I was. But, but you know why I said harps? Because you can have your cheerleaders, but I think you need your challenges as well. And I think you grow more from the constructive feedback rather than people just pumping up your tires. So I, I ask that authentically, and I ask that because I want to learn from you mm. guys because you're killing it. Mm. Mm. One bit I would give you while Melissa's pondering is I would say have your questions, but don't necessarily use them. I think one of the, one of the obviously, and also as you said very uh, wisely, my first hundred or so episodes it was different, or my my first speaking gigs it was different because I really had to plan because I couldn't do what I can do now. Um, but I think with you, you're old enough, wise enough, experienced enough, intuitive enough, in the moment enough to be able to go. I'm going to have some dot points here and I may or may not use them because sometimes like I've been interviewed by people where they ask me a really good question and we're, we're on the precipice of something fucking great. And then they go, question seven, are you a <laughs> vegan? I'm like, what? <laughs> like we're just approaching the meaning of life and they want to know what I eat for breakfast. It's like they're not in the conversation. They're not in the middle of it at all. Mm. That's a good take up for me, Harps, from today. So have a run sheet. We, we actually, you, you've totally both stuffed up my run sheet today, but that's, that's been my, my learning today. My plan, yeah. dude. No, thank you. I've, 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 I have learned that. And I don't think I'm didactic question one. So it's like a tennis game, but I've seen with you two, it's more organic and then you can really go down the rabbit holes and explore the nuggets. Mm. So we'll do a wrap. How do you guys normally wrap? You just come to an end. We fall off a cliff. Is there anywhere you'd like people to go? Obviously, People are listening to this podcast. They're going to follow yeah. you so on the podcast. Melissa's home address is <laughs> Unit 17 403. No. <laughs> uh, mate, we're good. Come and listen to the show or not. Go to my website, craighupper.net, or don't. You know, just go see Andrew. Listen to Andrew. Cheer on, Andrew. Hey, thank you for your time today. I've, I've learned a lot. I really have. I've taken lots of notes, and I've been interviewed by you interviewing you it's very different right it's a very different skill but i reckon harp today i've learned a lot so thank you and mel i've, I've learned a lot as well with you provoking and giving your detail as well and and i hope some people who listen to this can also gain some of the insights there's a real thoughtfulness and there's a real you know connectivity to what you're doing and sometimes you, you joke and you, you're sort of flipping about stuff but there's a real integrity and that comes out today with the questions and the way you answer those and go deep. So thank mate. you for, for being really open. A complete pleasure, mate. Thank you. And good luck with everything. We really appreciate you. All right, let's get out of here. Wrap us up. See ya. All right, See Harps, thank you. Thanks, mate. Bye. Hey, it's Andrew and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Stride Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com 
where you can explore the books I have written, including Matchfit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.